You are listening to Joe Radio. Radio. Listen, advertise, share. Hello world, welcome to Joe Radio. You know who it is. It's your boy JC Vibes. And we are going to be discussing in this program, or rather sharing in this program, testimonies of God's goodness. Yes, that's it. Testimonies of God's goodness. Alright, and we trust and pray that you would be encouraged, you would be blessed, you would be ministered to as you listen to these testimonies. Everyday people, you know, that God has done some awesome things in their lives. And if he can do it for them, you know he can most definitely do it for you. Alright, we want to take this time out. Before we get into that, we want to take this time out to thank you, the listener, um, for listening and sharing uh, the program. You know, um, we have listeners from all over the world, basically. And, um, you know, we just want to say a big and grateful thank you to each and every one of you. Continue to share, 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 and share some more the program. All right, so we're going to get into it. Remember, testimonies of Jesus Christ, his goodness, his healing, uh, his breakthrough, his love. You know, um, if you don't know Jesus Christ, you know, we invite you to accept him today. All right, he died for you. He loves you. He shed his blood for you. He wakes you up every single day, right? We thank God for you. And we encourage you to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. All right, so we're going to get into it right now. Testimonies of God's goodness, testimonies of Jesus Christ. Bruce Van Nata loved trucks, and his job as a self-employed diesel mechanic helped this Christian family man live out his power truck dreams and provide for his wife and four children. He never gave a second thought to the dangers of working on engines that weighed thousands of pounds until November 16, 2006. I was working on a Peterbilt logging truck about an hour from our home, and the guy that I was working with that day, the driver of the truck, asked me if I would look and try and diagnose one more problem, one more leak before I left. So if you can picture one of these great big Peterbilt trucks, here's the front bumper. And I slipped underneath that great big chrome bumper feet first. And he had had the front axle jacked up in the air and the passenger side wheel removed. The axle is going right across my chest at this point, maybe an inch or two above my chest. Then just as Bruce slipped under the truck, the 20-ton capacity jack holding up the truck shot out from its position and this 10,000, 12,000 pounds of weight that is on these two front wheels on this axle came down across my midsection, basically like a blunt guillotine, and just crushed me in half. Blood had splatted the inside of my throat, the back of my throat when it fell, and I could see that there was less than an inch of airspace between the bottom of the axle and the cement. So I knew that I was thinner than it, my body was thinner than an inch. The man jacked the truck up off of me. I begged him to get me out from underneath the truck. He didn't want to because he could tell that I had to have a broken back, and I did. Um, my vertebrae in my back were cracked uh, the width of the axle. It was the most incredible pain you can think of. I've never felt any kind of pain like that. The very next thing it is, I just called out, Lord, help me. 
I called out twice, Lord, help me. Instantly, all of the pain left Bruce's body. At that point, my, I went unconscious. My spirit left my body, floated up into the ceiling, and now I'm, my spirit is looking down on the accident scene from above. The man I've been working with was on his knees above my body. He's talking, I can hear him talking. He's saying things like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But on each side of him, also on their knees, was a huge angel. Their heads stuck up at least this much taller than his head. So if you would have stood them up, they would have had been like eight feet tall. They did not have wings. They were just very broad shoulders again. Between the two angels and him, it took up the whole front of his truck. There was a bright light shining around each one of them. They were matching bookends. They looked identical. They just had their arms underneath the truck, not holding the truck up but had their arms angled in towards my body. There was no pain. In fact, just peace. And I can't even describe, words can't describe the peace that I felt in the ceiling. Bruce knew he had a serious choice to make. I was definitely on the point, on the verge of life and death. There were two voices, thoughts in my head. One was shut your eyes, give up and die, and you're just gonna go to heaven anyway. It was very loud. There was another voice in my head, thought, much quieter, more of a whisper. And that one said, if you want to live, you're going to have to fight, and it's going to be a hard fight. And next thing I knew, my spirit went back down into my body like that, just like a shot. Bruce was conscious as he was flown on a life flight to the hospital. Doctors there doubted he would even survive the next few hours. His ribs were broken, his pancreas and spleen crushed, and several major arteries had been severed. I had five major places, five places that major arteries were completely severed. I found out from uh, doctors that there was a medical study done in 2001. According to that study by the University of Southern California, they've used my case and compared it against that study. And according to that, they can't find anyone else in the world that's ever lived with five major arteries being severed. So I should have bled to death in just a few minutes. So my thought is the angels were there to hold my, somehow hold me together. Bruce stayed in the hospital for over two months and survived five major surgeries. Yet he had overwhelming obstacles to overcome. Almost 75% of his small intestines were crushed in the accident and had to be removed. Adult has 18 to 20 some feet of small intestine, they say, roughly. Somebody came in and told us they didn't expect me to live much more than a year. I'm going to starve to death. I was losing weight very rapidly. They're feeding me intravenously. Bruce's once 180-pound frame dropped to 126 pounds. But Bruce's family was praying, and his community rallied around him. Then Bruce received an unexpected visitor in his hospital room one day. The Lord woke up a man in New York two days in a row, someone that I met one time on vacation. And he came and prayed for me in the hospital put his palm on my forehead, and when he prayed, uh, he prayed the way Jesus taught us to pray, and he spoke to the mountain, in this case, my intestine, and he said, small intestine, I command you to supernaturally grow back in length in the name of Jesus Christ. And when he did, it felt like 220 volts came out of his palm into my forehead, right into my body, and I could feel my intestines moving around and going up and down. After a long nine months of surgeries and hospital stays, Bruce was eventually able to feed himself and he gained weight all the way up to 170 pounds. When he returned for testing, radiology reports and doctors confirmed that he had almost nine feet of small intestine. His intestines had doubled in length. When they test me, uh, they say that the intestines that the Lord gave me back were twice as good as normal. Even I don't have my full amount. He gave me several feet back. Even though it's half as much, they absorb the vitamins, the minerals, the nutrients that I eat into my body normally. 
over and over the Lord kept confounding the doctors from the from the point of them saying that I shouldn't have lived, I should have bled to death, to my intestines miraculously, intestines miraculously coming back. Over and over, uh, God was showing that miracles were happening. My pancreas rejuvenated by itself, my spleen rejuvenated by itself. Miracle after miracle after miracle, God just kept showing up and showing himself very real and strong that he is the miracle worker. Today, through their organization, Sweetbread Ministries, Bruce and his family travel together to talk about supernatural healing. Bruce has also written a book called Saved by Angels. Miracle after miracle after miracle. It's exciting to just see what God is doing in people's lives today and that He is alive and well and He wants to reach people at their point of need. And so we've got a God that loves us more than we can ever imagine and He pours out His love on us in such an amazing way that it's indescribable. felt like I was fading away. Next thing I knew, off of the distance, I saw white light. Jim Anderson was dying from a massive heart attack. The only signs of trouble came a year earlier, but his doctor called the symptoms stress-related. Jim was working 12-hour days as a supervisor at a wastewater treatment plant. But this time, Jim knew it was much more than stress. I was uh, resting in my bedroom, and all of a sudden I had a crushing pain in my chest, and uh, the pain radiated down the arm, up the side of the neck, couldn't catch my breath. And I called to my daughter, I said, you're going to have to get me to the hospital. I'm not going to make it. A balloon catheter was inserted into his artery. He was stabilized and placed on a heart transplant list. But two days later, Jim flatlined. I could see everyone rushing into the room, but I couldn't hear the alarms going off. It's like I had gone underwater. The, the hearing had just, just faded away. That's when I began to pray. I knew I was dying. It wasn't a scare praying. It was earnest to take care of my family. As I prayed, it got darker to the point it went black. Next thing I knew, off of the distance, I saw white light. It was beautiful. Just wasn't blinding, but pure, perfect. As I started to go towards the light, I could see the outer edge of it begin to spiral. And I couldn't figure out what that was, but as I got closer, I could see it was the words of prayers revolving. The words broke off going into the light, and I followed into the light. The next thing I felt was being embraced, safe and secure. It felt wonderful. It felt like Total love. Next thing I knew, I was looking down the room where my body was. I could see everyone working on me. I could hear what they were saying. There were two nurses outside of the room looking in. One said to the other, why are they working so hard? He's gone. If they do bring him back, it'd be a vegetable. 
I later on told her what she said. She about passed out. <laughs> then I thought to myself, where's Tabby? And instantly I was in the room where she was. And I'd just gotten finished with that prayer. Uh, you know, he's yours, Lord, because I knew that that was the only way he was coming back to us. God wanted it to. When she did that, yours. I zoomed right in on her face. Yours. When I saw her face, I saw every aspect of our life together. From the first day we met, our marriage, the birth of our children, all the emotions we've shared. I couldn't leave her. I just couldn't leave her. I cry out to the Lord. I said, Lord, I love you so much, but please let me come back. I said, my wife needs me. My children need me so much. Please let me come back. The doctors and nurses didn't give up. They shocked Jim so many times that the flesh on his chest was burned. Then the doctors heard a heartbeat. I came back to a world of pain. They shocked me so many times. It's like coming back out of the water. Just, just, my hearing came back. I could hear them telling me, I can't believe it, he's back, he's back. I said, can you hear me? And I took that first breath on my own. Have you ever tasted honeysuckle? That's exactly what that first breath tasted like. It was so sweet, so wonderful. Not just thank the Lord. Jim was alive, but his heart still wasn't functioning properly. They put him into a, a coma, a medical Medicaid coma, and uh, to allow his body to heal. So I wasn't able to talk to him for days. Jim spent the next 17 days in intensive care. He flatlined several more times, and each time, Jesus asked him a question. The subsequent times that I arrested and would go towards the light, he would ask, are you sure this is what you want? And each time I would ask to come back. Jim woke up from his medical-induced coma. His heart increased in function from 5% to 30%. He no longer needed a heart transplant. It was a long process, but basically it was uh, good to hear his voice again. <laughs> Very good to hear his voice again. His doctor implanted a pacemaker in his chest. Just a couple of days later, Jim was able to make it home in time for his daughter's graduation. One doctor told Jim he only had a year to live. That was over seven years ago. It's brought us closer together, so much closer together. Um, we talk about things now and it's whatever needs to be done for the day, it's done. You know, we don't, don't focus on things that are trivial. Jim knows that every day he has with his family is a blessing from Jesus Christ. I try to witness to at least one person a day to let them know this isn't about me. It's about their life and know that He is there for them. 
he loves them. That was 10 years ago. Looking at Colton now, you would have never guessed that he almost died in 2003. His father, Todd, tells about Colton's near-death experience in the book, Heaven is for Real. And he started throwing up into the toilet, you know, and uh, at first we're like, okay, he's got the stomach flu because the doctor said it was going around. Colton's condition only got worse as days passed. His doctor discovered his appendix had burst and infection was spreading in his body. Time was running out. And we knew we were in bad shape when they, they say, well, you need to come out to the hallway. They separated us from everyone else. And then someone came to us and started talking to us that uh, we got to have surgery on your kid. It was tough. Um, senior boy, be lifeless when he was a very vibrant child. And it was at that moment that we were looking at each other. I remember my wife holding Colton in that hallway, just us. He's not even moving. We went to the surgery prep area, and I remember them hauling him away and him just yelling at me, Daddy, don't let him take me. Daddy, don't let him take me. And I went back to the, uh, uh, the pre-op room where we had left some stuff, and I was finally alone, shut the door. And I just broke down, and I was mad at God. I just frustrated, fed up. And I remember telling him, I said, God, after all I've done for you, and now you're going to take my kid? This is how you treat your pastors. And I was calling our parachain. I was calling anybody that would be on the other line to get Colton on the parachain because it was bad. We were there in the waiting room for an hour and a half, maybe. Then I remember the nurse coming out. Uh, is Colton's daddy out here? I'm like, yeah, well, Colton's a, a, a in recovery and he's screaming for you. And I'm sitting there with him. And I remember my son in that room then looking up at me and goes, Dad, do you know I almost died? And my first thought was, maybe overheard the nurse say that, or maybe they thought he was under anesthesia, you know, and, and he wasn't. But it wasn't till four months after we got out of the hospital that we finally listened to our son. And that's where I got to see heaven. No, Jesus and some angels came and flew me up to heaven. And I said, so Colton, what did Jesus look like? I knew that the first person I saw was Jesus. He was wearing white robes with a purple sash and he just came down nicely and gracefully well dad jesus has markers dad jesus has markers i didn't know what he meant so i finally asked the right question colton where are jesus markers and he drops his toys down and he stands up and he just points dad they were right here he takes his fingers points to the palms and he bends over and touches the tops of his feet and looks up to me, that's where Jesus' markers were, Dad. When I was in the throne room of God to start with, so I got to see what that looked like. I was upset because I didn't know what was happening. What God did is he used people that, people or things that I liked to calm me down. From there on, I felt better. 
And one day we're traveling together and he looks up at me and, Dad, you used to have a grandpa named Pop, didn't you? I'm like, yeah, he's really nice. Really? Yeah, you used to play with him as a kid and fix, work with him on the farm and, and shoot stuff with him. And I'm like, yeah, how do you know that? Well, he told me. A figure came up and he was Pop. He asked me, are you Todd's son? I said, yes. He said that he was his grandpa. So that's where I met him. Yeah, Pop, uh, I was very close to him. And he was my most significant male role model when I was a kid growing up. Kid, but he was killed in a car wreck before I turned seven. Um, I was busy paying bills again, because um, that's um, my job. And he came up and told me he had two sisters. Well, he had to say it several times before he finally got my attention. And finally, I put myself down and looked at him and says, what do you mean you have two sis sisters? No, I have two sisters. You had a baby dying in your tummy. And I just looked at him like, well, how do you know you have two sisters? Well, she told me. And then he proceeded to describe her. She looked like Cassie, but she had brown hair. And first time when she saw me, she just came up and hugged me. We knew if this was true, because he said, she kept hugging me. She wouldn't stop hugging me, Mom, and I didn't like that. Well, I'm not really the hugging type. I had miscarried the weekend of Father's Day weekend, which made it even rougher. And we thought we'd dealt with it. We got over, we accepted that the baby had died. But when he said he had two sisters, I was, I think I was in shock first and then trying to realize, what is he telling me? And so I knew that he had seen her and after he described her, and he said, she's just, she just waiting for you guys to come to heaven. You know, as we talked about heaven and he was telling me all these wonderful details, I just felt like I had to ask him, did he want to come back? I knew that I was leaving heaven because Jesus came to me and said, Colton, you need to go back. Even though I didn't want to go back, he said that he was answering my dad's prayer. I remember that prayer, that irreverent, that disrespectful, screaming at God prayer. <laughs> I was like, he's answering that prayer? Today, Colton is a healthy 13-year-old and shares his heavenly journey with boldness. I learned that heaven is for real and you're gonna like it. I was convinced that there was no way to live a completely happy life. And if I couldn't live happy, I didn't want to live at all. It began with a divorce, a broken home. And I believe that through that, my mentality began to form and began to develop a sense of rejection because I didn't understand. I was a small child and didn't understand adult things. And so I, I felt the breakup was all about me. That sense of rejection just really grew. I began to perceive myself as a burden to other people. And so I would take little bitty comments that were relatively insignificant. I would make it into a really big deal. Those little seeds in my life, I began meditating on over and over. And as I grew, the rejection began to grow. What is wrong with me? And so I believe that the only answer for me was to end my life. I walked um, to my mother's room thinking I don't want anyone to see me because I'm so determined to end my life, to end the void, to end the suffering, to end the loneliness that nothing was going to stop me. I began crying out and I began screaming out to God, God, forgive me. And the gun went off. 
my lungs began to fill up with blood. My ears, I began to become deaf, very slowly, faintly become deaf. My eyes became blind. My eyes were open and I became blinded and I knew that death was gripping my soul. And then all of a sudden, I felt myself, my soul leave my body and I instantly began falling and falling. And at that moment, I knew I was no longer in control of my destiny. And I ended up in a place that was complete torment. And my body was burning. I no longer was lonely. I was no longer depressed. I became depression. I became loneliness. I became a tormented being of fear. And as I began looking out and I saw all of these other people and everybody was screaming in pain, the, the mutual thing that everyone shared there was their desire to scream out to everybody on earth, do not come here. Acknowledge that life is about Jesus Christ. Eternity is real and hell is real and heaven is real and how you live your life will determine where you go. And everybody cried out that their loved ones would hear the truth. I saw the hand of God literally come down and at that moment I knew that He was coming for me and His hand picked me up and instantaneously I was no longer a being of tormented sin. I now was a being being cleansed and God took me over the heavens. It was beyond peaceful and gorgeous and magnificent. However, I was not allowed to stay and I was certainly not allowed to see anything specific, but I was able to feel His presence in His entirety. I was able to feel perfect serenity. I was able to feel joy for the first time, complete, whole joy. And this hand just began to bring me back into the universe. And I saw myself coming back to my home and went through the ceiling and the hand just went and placed me gently back into my physical body. And he went up and I opened my eyes and I saw him go up and instantly I knew at that moment God loved me. I called out on His name and I asked for Him to forgive me and He did. And at that moment I was given a spiritual strength that I had never known. I was given joy that I had never had. I was given peace that I knew would take me through what I was about to face. The bullet had missed my heart um, by less than a fourth of an inch. I mean, just you know, by millimeters there and had explained that, you know, the pressure of a 38 caliber gun should have exploded my heart. And they didn't understand that there was nothing wrong with me. They had broke a few of my ribs and that was all. When you leave this earth, you are going to do one or two things. Either you are going to be transformed into a being of sin and torment, or you are going to be transformed into a being of light and love and joy. And it is a personal responsibility 
who and what you are going to be transformed into. And I had to learn how to take on the responsibility and quit blaming others for my mental and emotional condition. Now I'm full of joy. Now I am full of peace. I am who God says I am. I am loved. I am adopted into the kingdom of Christ. You know, God sees me that I am his child and all that he has is mine. I just have to be able to receive it. And I have to be able to recognize and replace my junk with his greatness. As long as I stand on the promises of God and I allow his presence in my life, I can conquer anything and I can go through my problems with peaceful sleep. I can go with them with joy and strength beyond all comprehension. And I can come out on the other side full of hope and a victory in Christ. I'm ashamed to be a woman. God made a mistake to create me a woman. I wanted to be a man. Amy Gazelle grew up in Syria, born to a Muslim family. Her parents and religious leaders taught her women had little value. Many times I've been beaten up for asking questions. Why I am created unclean woman? Why uh, that God create me less intelligent and I, uh, man has dominion over me? According to her family's beliefs, a woman had no guarantee where she'd spend eternity, even if she lived a good life. There is no grace in, in Islam faith. So a lot of women in that culture, they do their best to be a good woman, but they're deep in their heart, they are desperate for God that he may accept them and, and allow them to go to heaven. Amy was never at peace with Islam. I read the Quran and I feel like an evil spirit or someone has his hand on my, my neck and shocking me. At 18, Amy and her family moved from Syria to Egypt. There, she openly renounced Islam. I stopped praying, I stopped fasting, I stopped, uh, you know, uh, be involved in any uh, sort of, of uh, ceremony or any sort of, of religion practice. Amy learned English in college and took a job with a travel agency. While on business in the United States, she met and married an American Muslim doctor, but her husband began abusing her six months into their marriage. Even he was a religious man, but he has the mentality of Muhammad, controlling women. And I've been verbally, many times, very, very, very bad abused. After almost three years of marriage, Amy and her husband divorced. I felt like failure because I failed in everything I have done. I lost myself totally. I didn't know why I'm living here and why should I live? Why should I continue to live? On top of that, she was plagued with the Islamic idea of hell. I feel like I'm gonna die and God gonna send his angel to torture me, to torment me in the grave. I could not sleep and nobody wants to be friend to me because my face looks so miserable, bitterness, uh, resentment in my heart against anybody. And I became feeling I'm a victim of everybody. And I was, I felt like if I have the courage to kill myself, I would do it. When one of Amy's co-workers invited her to church, she agreed to go. But she couldn't believe that Jesus was God. It was so confusing to me. He is God, he is the son of God, and he's man also in the same time. And I said, God, 
I'm not going to be deceived again. And if Jesus is truly, he's your son, and he is God, and he is the son of God, and he died on the cross for me to be forgiven, you must prove it to me. A few months later, Amy became very ill with gallstones. As she lay in the hospital waiting for surgery, she called out to Jesus. Jesus, I know you, you have healed a lot of people in the past, and would you please come and heal me? if you are true. I am broken financially. I am alone. I don't have family to care of me. And I cannot just survive during this situation alone. After I finished my asking and my request of Jesus, the room was full of light. And out of that light, Jesus came to me in real human body. And he stretched his hands and he was close to me standing by my bed and he said come to me who are weary and carry heavy burden i will give you rest the words she heard in that hospital room were the same that jesus had spoken in matthew 11. but amy had never read these verses i saw the nails in his wrist that's the way they describe it to me that he died on the cross and he he truly when he appeared to me, there is no one will deny him that he is not God. I felt like I am so dirty and so full of sin. And he is holy. He is righteous. He is beautiful. Doctors ran a scan to check Amy's gallstones again before surgery. They couldn't find any. I am healed because Jesus healed me, the result of the, of the test came negative. There is no stone, there is no infection, and they test me physically, and they let me go. Amy started reading the Bible and went back to church with her friend. So it was his in here in my heart. It just um, the, that I need to make commitment and declaration that I am a Christian and I'm gonna follow Christ. And I felt like something has been changed in my life. You know, you feel like your life has been completely changed. You feel like you are new. You are renewed. And that's how I felt. Amy was baptized, and her relationship with Christ freed her from the lies she learned as a child. It's given me eternal life that guarantee I am for God, I am set free. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. Not the woman that I've been created less intelligence and have dominion over me by men. There is no dominion over me anymore. I have the power of God Almighty to walk every day in life. I'm not gonna go to hell. Hell is not for me anymore. That's out of my life. And I totally live in the light. And I know I'm gonna be for eternal life with Jesus. couldn't catch my breath. It was getting shallower and shallower, and I can remember saying to myself, I am dying. And then his blood pressure dropped. And I looked at the doctor and I said, what's wrong with him? His heart stopped. And he says, well, we need to intubate your husband right now, or else he could die. And then we start doing the chest compressions. Dane Braxton's system was shutting down. 
It started as a routine procedure to remove a kidney stone. Now he was dying. Dr. Manuel Irigi was on duty in the critical care unit at St. Francis Hospital in Federal Way, Washington. He explains what went wrong. As it turns out with, with him, the antibiotic that he received was uh, not good for the bacteria. He was resistant. Dean's body went into multi-organ failure and his heart flatlined. Dr. Irigi's team worked furiously to revive him. Dean's wife, Marilyn, prayed. I did say to the Lord, I said, Lord, you said in your word that you've come to give Dean life and life abundantly. And I claim that abundant life for him. At times, the unit was in chaos as they worked to save Dean's life. But he was experiencing something very different. I wasn't afraid. It was like, I'm going home. Dean believes he went to heaven. When I first entered in, it was just bright. It wasn't so much what I saw as much as what I experienced. The first thing I perceived was everything is right. There's nothing wrong here. And I said, it's past peace. You know, there's a scripture in the Bible in Philippians, the fourth chapter, that says, peace past understanding. That's what's going on there. It's landscape, but more, because everything's alive. Nothing's dead. I don't mean just live like grass. I mean, it's intelligent. It can move. You know, it thinks. And someone says, well, that's way out there. It was way out there for me. You know, I'll tell you the truth. Dean says he felt like he was being pulled back into his body. Then he flatlined a second time. Again, he was in heaven. This time, he saw Jesus. The first thing that comes to me is he's bright, just like John says, he's brighter than the noonday sun. And the next phrase I say, I wish people could grab it, and it's this one and we can look at him. And what you're looking at is not so much the physical part of it. You're really experiencing the love he has for you. And I tell people it's, it's like he only loves you and no one else. I saw him communicating to angels. He would just look at them. Communication there was thought to thought. They would acknowledge his receiving his information, bow before him like this, and then back out. And it was like, wow. Dean admits he didn't want to come back. And I don't tell you the truth. I was happy. I was planning on staying, you know. And people always say, yeah, you know, didn't you love your wife and your children? Yes, I loved them probably more than I ever could. But I was thinking, you come here. You come here where everything is right. Then Dean saw family he hadn't seen in a long time. And yet, on the other side of Jesus was my family, my grandmother Mary, but with her were other relatives. And some I had recognized. I had been on this planet when they were here. 
But then there was generation after generation after generation after generation of those that accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior that helped to produce me on this planet. They came to greet me in, and it was like, God. While Dean was in heaven, Marilyn continued asking God for a miracle. I purposed in my heart that whatever the outcome, I was going to follow God all the way. After an hour and 45 minutes, Dean came back with a weak but steady heart rate. But the bacteria had done a lot of damage, and he had to go on dialysis. I did not think he was going to survive. I, and I, in a way, I, I told his wife that, you know, now well, we have just to pray and, and wait, because there's nothing else I can do. I believe in healing. I believe that God is a healer. And uh, I was trusting God for Dean's healing. Three days later, Dean woke up. He was so eager. We got to get people saved. We got to let people know about Jesus. Despite doctors' concerns that Dean's prolonged ordeal would leave him impaired or even worse, there are no signs that Dean even had a brush with death. He's the picture of health. In fact, the staff at St. Francis Hospital dubbed him the Miracle Man. It's a miracle that he's alive. There's no question about it. It is a miracle. Yeah, he's alive, that he's talking, that he has no brain damage. Uh, but but this, this is very exceptional because he was really, really dead for, for a long time. So what does a man do who's experienced heaven and still wants to be there? Dean says Jesus told him something that keeps his feet firmly planted. I felt like he was saying, I need you there, what did I need you here? And I came to understand then how important it was for me to complete what God had put me on this planet to do. The bottom line is, until I'm finished here, you know, and I cannot go back home. I tell people most of the time, I'm on my way home. Don't get me wrong, I'm on my way home. This is the pathway my father says I have to go to get home. Well, this next guest never floated through a tunnel. He never saw a blinding light. The instant Don Piper died, he went straight to heaven's gate. And 90 minutes later, he came back. Don Piper was killed instantly when a tractor trailer hit his Ford Escort head on, crushing the small car. Paramedics covered Don's mangled body with a tarp. Then Dick Onaker, a minister, stopped and asked the paramedics if he could pray for Don. I walked over by the door, great physical damage on the outside, and I laid my hands on him and began to pray for him. As he knelt over the body, a sound came from beneath the tarp. After spending 90 minutes in heaven, Don had returned to life. Well, please welcome back a very interesting guest. His name is Don Piper. He's written a book called 90 Minutes in Heaven, and... Uh, it's good to see you, Don. It's Welcome. good to be here. Welcome. Good to be anywhere. Yeah, to be breathing, huh? Yes, absolutely. You were dead for 90 minutes. What happened? I was. I was on my way to church to lead a Bible study uh -huh. on a Wednesday and uh, crossing a bridge in the middle of nowhere, rural bridge, an 18-wheeler across the center stripe and literally ran over my car, just crushed it with me in it. And, uh, and you died? I was killed instantly. Instantly? Just, uh, instantly. it was... You know, 100 miles an hour of impact, so uh, there was no tunnel. I was just 
there. One, one second here, last breath here, first breath there, the gates of heaven. That ain't a bad thing. No, it was a really good thing. <laughs> I didn't really want to come back here. All right, what's it like? What'd you see? It was uh, the most real thing that's ever happened to me. I, uh, I was standing at a gate. Of course, the scripture tells us there's 12 of these gates, and mm-hmm. I was at one. I was surrounded by people I had known and loved in life who preceded me in death. And uh, what a great reunion heaven is. Well, you, you saw family members? Family members, teachers, yeah. uh, classmates that I'd gone to school with that had died uh, at a young age. Uh, my next door neighbor was there. Uh, a lot of people that I loved here and cared about here, but they, I probably wouldn't have expected some of these people to greet me at the gates, but they were there. And I think it's because they helped me get there. Okay. Yeah, God sent them out to greet me. Well, all right, tell me, what that's the gate. Now, you got inside. What was it like when well, you get actually, in? Well, actually, I'm going through layers of aroma, uh, uh, layers of uh, angels. They're all over the place, uh, ministering to the people of God, bearing up the people of God. I went through music, uh, unlike any I've ever heard here, probably thousands of songs at the same time, mm-hmm. and yet there was no chaos because they all fit together. They were all glorifying what were the God. like? Some had wings, uh, some didn't. Um, They were magnificently beautiful. And um, they they were bearing up people. They were surrounding me. Um, I guess the most amazing thing about was the sound of their wings. Mm. You can actually hear the flutter and the kind of the holy whoosh of their wings. Jesus, talk about the beggar Lazarus that he was carried by the angels. Yes. Were they carrying Yes, you? absolutely. They were carrying you. Yeah, there was one in the car with me. Um, yeah. When I actually came back 90 minutes later, I was holding the hand of, of an angel. Uh, that's the only one thing that really sustained me during that time. So they were here, and they are here, and they were there uh, mm. to greet me and to bear me up. So the angels are magnificent servants of God. We don't become angels, of course, when yeah, we go to heaven. Right. But I was carried by the angels to heaven. Well, they, I hate to use the term subservient, but I mean the, the people of God are supposed to be uh, on top of They them. are. Yeah. yeah. You, I got the distinct impression that they were taking care of me. Uh-huh. They were ministering to me, and they were the ones who delivered me to the very gate. So when I was there, I knew the, re- the way I got there was by their bearing me up. So. Did you see Jesus? Did you see In the distance, as yeah. I approached the gate, I'm looking through, and there really is a golden street, of course, uh, quite incredible, and structures that are more ornate than any I've ever seen here inside the gates. Um, but in the distance, there's kind of a hill, a pinnacle, high and lifted up in the middle of the city. And at that point, I could see the Lord high and lifted up uh, there at the top, uh, a brilliant light that uh, I couldn't have seen with earthly eyes. Of course, I didn't have earthly eyes, but you could see him. What I really wanted to do is run down that street and up that hill and just fall at his feet and say, thank you for letting me be here. What did you do? What do, you, what do people do when they get there? Well, you know, there's, uh, we'll dine at the Lord's table. Yes. We'll, we'll eat with him, uh, but we'll gain weight. Isn't that heavenly? <laughs> uh, so we'll dine, we'll, we'll sing together, we'll bless the Lord, we'll fellowship. I can imagine walking down that street of gold with Paul or Peter 
uh, and just having a conversation with them, I, I really think they'll be as glad to see us as we are to see them. There's great fellowship in the Spirit. Uh, not only is there praising God, but there's the fellowship of the saints that are gathered together. It's just the most exciting place I've ever seen. I, I, I can't imagine a place more exciting than him. Very active. No tears, no sorrow. No, no pain. No pain. No, yeah, no, I want to no be in a place there's no pain. No pain. And no, well, what about age? There was no age. No age. No, they were, they were ageless. They were all fully developed humans. Yes. I wouldn't say adult because that's an earth word. Yes. You know, we have stages of life. There are no stages of life in heaven. We were fully developed. You know, Adam and Eve were never right. children. So I think that's the way God created us to have a relationship with him because that's what heaven is all about. So they were, they were ageless. The people I had known here that were young in chronological age didn't look that young there. And the people who were old here didn't look old either. They were ageless. Well, what about time? There was no concept of time. No time. No, I was killed at 11.45 a.m. and I arrived back here at 1.15 p.m. Uh, so that's 90 minutes in earth time. But in heaven, it is timeless. There is no concept of time. I could have been there for 90 years or 90 okay. seconds. Okay. You just don't. There's, it's linear. It's propelled forward. But there's no elapse of time because you, it's you an eternal place. You didn't want to come place. back, did you? Oh, not at all. No. Why'd you, why'd you come back? Did you find Well, uh, people were praying that I would. <laughs> well, that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they heard that I did. And then the, a gentleman that was behind me, behind the accident, who was also a pastor, walked up to the bridge. Uh, we saw an interview with him, Dick Onorecker. He uh, had asked to pray for any of the victims, and he was told that they were all all right. There were four other victims. And they said, well, the man in the red car is dead. That was me. Mm -hmm. And God spoke to him and said, pray for the man in the red car. Well, he never thought about praying for a dead man, yeah. but he knew that God was speaking to him. Mm -hmm. So he got permission to crawl in the car, put his hand on my right shoulder, and he began to pray for me and sing hymns. 90 minutes after that started, he's singing, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, and I start singing it with him. And he got out of the car really fast at that yeah. point and yeah. went over and said something to the effect, The dead man is singing. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, they had, he had to convince them to do it. So I came back to 13 months in a hospital bed, 34 major surgeries, uh, oh, life and death on a day to day basis. I had to have external fixators placed on my arm and leg. It was a very, very long, difficult. Why didn't you get healed? Why did I get healed? Why didn't you? Well, I'm healed to the extent that people don't believe I can still walk because I lost my leg, four inches of it, and they had to reattach it. And this arm was in the back seat of the car. Oh. So I'm healed that way. Yeah. Um, but you know what? I, I feel more healed and alive than I ever was yeah. before. I don't recommend getting hit by a truck so you can have that experience. But Jesus said we, we can have life abundantly here. You know, we, we had a question a couple of days ago. You know, the Bible says it's appointed that a man wants to die right. and after they judge But what, what, what were you doing? I mean, I don't think I'm going to die again. Oh, I think Jesus will come back before I die. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think that I will have died once. So that was the time. I think that was it. Okay. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm going back. I'm not coming back. <laughs> It's good to be here with you, but I'd rather be there. You know, if you've well, been there, you, you want to stay there. It's just the most real place of all. Smells. Yes, perfect. aromas that were sweet and luxurious. Um, I can still kind of remember what they smelled like and, and the sounds that I've heard there and the people that I embraced while I was there. and the people. My grandfather extended his arms and said, Welcome home, Donnie. 
And uh, you saw your grandfather. I did. Yeah, I was with him when he died, and he was there to greet me when I did. Praise yeah. God. The cycle was complete. Don Piper, ladies and gentlemen, this book is some. He's got two books. One's called Getting to Heaven, which is more important perhaps than what it's like once you get there. <laughs> and he's got one called 90 Minutes in Heaven that relates his experiences. They're available wherever books are sold. Don, it's inspiring, brother, to see you. And thank God. Delighted to be here. Yeah. And I'll, I'll see you there. <laughs> Together, brother. <laughs> 48% of the Muslim in the United States of America believe that they are Muslim first, they are American second. Our purpose is to change this culture because they're infidel and what they're doing is not pleasing to Allah and we are the soldier of Allah who will make them do it. Kamal Salim was born in Lebanon to a devout Muslim family. As early as four years old, he remembers sitting at the kitchen table while his mother taught him about the Quran and his duty to Allah and Jihad. From my childhood, my mom said, one day you'll be a martyr, my son. You will die for the sake of Allah and you will exalt Islam. She said, if you kill a Jew, my son, but your hand will light up before the throne of Allah and the host of heaven will celebrate what you have done. Kamal was seven when his parents sent him to Muslim training camps to learn to use weapons and engage and kill the enemy. The boys were also taught another, more subtle form of warfare. We were training for what's called culture jihad which is shifting cultures. Culture jihad is, it's unlike the sword, unlike the rifle, it is the jihad that will come into your world. By his 20s, Kamal was chosen to wage cultural jihad on America. In Islam, uh, liberty, freedom, monarchy, all these are idols and these must be brought down. So the liberty that you have in the United States of America, it's, it's anti-Islam. You know, so America must be changed. So I moved to the Bible Belt specifically. The Bible Belt was the strongest of strongest. Uh, that's where the, uh, the stout Christians are. And I want to take on the best of the best because I considered myself as, as a sword of Islam. I thought I'm anointed, I'm unique, I'm selected. I'm coming to a country and a culture to change it. And I have the power of Allah with me. In the early 1980s, Kamal entrenched himself in a small Midwestern town. He began targeting men from poorer neighborhoods to recruit them to the Muslim faith. But one afternoon, his life would be in the hands of those he hated the most. I was going from one place to another to do a recruitment, and that day I had a car wreck. The car wreck was so severe, I ejected out of my car, landed on my neck, broke my neck in two places. This man came running to me, and he said, don't worry we're gonna take care of you and everything's gonna be all right. The ambulance came and picked me up and now I go to the hospital, the orthopedic surgeon in the emergency room looked at my chart and he just said, son, we are going to take care of you and everything's gonna be all right. The second day I wake up in the hospital and this uh, physical therapy, head of physical therapy come and read my chart and he turned around and he said the same thing word for word, we are going to take care of you. At first, Kamal was frightened by their words because these men were all Christians. You see, in terrorism, if they said, we're gonna take care of you, you'd better run. Surgeries to repair Kamal's broken neck were successful, but recovery would take weeks. After being discharged from the hospital, he would need someone to care for him while he recuperated. Kamal had no one. 
So the orthopedic surgeon opened up his own home to this stranger. In his home, they put me in the choicest room, and the most beautiful thing. I became like part of their family. They didn't see me any different, and now they have a basket set for Kamal. They put in money to free my bills from the hospital. Kamal was overwhelmed with the outpouring of Christian love. As he recovered, he began to help out around the house with cooking and cleaning. They have Jewish friends, they came from Israel, that they support, you know. And now I'm hugging Israelis and I'm cooking for Jews. I go, what has happened to me? When Kamal was able to take care of himself and return to his apartment, the doctor had another surprise for him. He said, this is the keys to the house, and here's an extra key, this is your new car. We just want to bless you. You can come anytime you want. So I go to my home, and I go to my cold place that I have been there in months, and dust is this thick. And I just got to settle this issue with my God to know that if, if it's real or not. So I walk inside, I shut the door, I go right in the eastern window, and I fall on my knees, and I put my hands to the heavens, and I cry up to my God. Allah, Allah, my Lord and my King, why have you done such a thing to me? I'm okay with the, with the car wreck. I'm okay with all this, but why did you put me among Christians? I'm confused. These Christian and Jews, they are, they're good people. There's nothing wrong with them. They don't want to kill us. They're not the same thing that I learned about them. Allah, these people have relationship with their God. These people, they cry out to the God and they answer them. I want to hear your voice. I want to hear you love me. If you're real, speak to me. I want to hear your voice. Guess what Allah said that day? Absolutely nothing. Kamal felt that because he questioned his faith, the honorable thing to do was to end his own life. So I went to reach out my guns and put it in the right place and clock out. I heard the voice. The voice knew me by name. He said, Kamal, 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 why don't you call on God of Father Abraham and Isaac and Jacob? And now I fell on my knees and I put my hands to the heavens immediately as I heard the voice and I cried out with every fiber within me. God the Father Abraham, if you are real, would you speak to me? God the Father Abraham, if you are real, I want to know you. Well, God the Father Abraham came to a room and he filled the room with his glory and his name was Yahweh. The Lord is one. In his hand, he has holes in his hand. He has holes in his feet. His name is Jesus. I said to him, who are you, my Lord? Who are you? He said, I am that I am. I said, I'm a simple man with a simple mind. What is that supposed to mean? He said, I am the Alpha. I am the Omega. I am the beginning. I am the end. I am everything that is in between. I have known you before I formed the foundation of the earth. I have loved you before I formed you in your mother womb. Rise up, rise up, come on. Kum, you are my warrior. You are not their warrior. And I said to him, I said, my Lord, my Lord, I will live and die for you. He said, do not die for me. I died for you that you may live. That day, instead of taking his life, Kamal gave it to Jesus. He now has a new mission and travels the country challenging Muslims to question their allegiance to Allah. 
My heart desire is to reach out for my brothers and sisters, the Muslim out there, 1.5 billion Muslim, that they are living out there and they have not tasted freedom and that freedom in God. It's been over 20 years since Kamal left the Islamic faith, and even threats of violence and death cannot stop him from sharing his story. He is real. You know, and if you never experienced God before in your life, if you never tasted God, and if you think you got nothing to lose, when, when you're sitting in your home, whether you're a Muslim or, or a non-Muslim or a non-Christian or whatever you are, say, call on God of Father Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and say, if you are real, speak to me, I want to hear your voice. Well, in December of 2004, Curtis Kelly, also known as Earthquake, developed a brain aneurysm, nearly died, and he says he went to heaven. What he saw there was vastly different from what he saw 30 years earlier when Earthquake overdosed on drugs, nearly died, and went to hell. While most four-year-olds were playing with toys, Curtis Kelly was casting voodoo spells and taking drugs. His Haitian father practiced voodoo, and his brothers were drug dealers. So he had these influences around him all the time. At five, he was excited to be chosen to study voodoo under the then Haitian president, Papa Doc Duvalier. But Curtis's Christian mother intervened, and her prayers would keep him alive. Power and money motivated him. By the time Curtis was 11, he was taking cocaine, dealing drugs, and was even deeper into voodoo. Then at 15, he had a major drug overdose. He died and went to hell. Wow, please welcome to the 700 Club, Curtis Earthquake Kelly. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Wow, let's just get right to it. You died at 15 years old, nearly died at 15 years old with a drug overdose. Yes. And you say you went to hell. Yes, I did. What happened? Well, my brothers were, were drug dealers at that time, and uh, they were uh, dealing drugs in the neighborhood, the community. And I wanted to get high, too, but they told me I was too young. So uh, uh, this voice told me how to do things and get high off of things around the neighborhood, around the house. So I started listening, and I was getting high. I started at four years old doing this. Just doing drugs at four years old? Uh-huh. Yeah. Wow. And by the time I was six, they allowed me to smoke marijuana. So I learned how to roll the joints by myself. And by the time I turned 10, they allowed me to start doing cocaine. So it took, wiped out most of my childhood. Yeah. And one particular time, uh, uh, the same voice said, uh, uh, since you've been dealing in drugs and stuff like that, that you never really got that super high. How are you going to tell somebody about the super high if you haven't experienced yourself? Mm. So I listened to it, and I mixed up uh, some cocaine, some marijuana, and some powerful pills. These pills were still strong, Chris, that you could uh, take one pill, cut it in half, and cut that half in half, and that half of that half would keep you high for eight days. Wow. And I took four of those, plus the weed, plus the cocaine. And next thing I know, uh, uh, it got real dark, super dark where I was, but I could see everybody else's in the light. And and out of the floor came these evil, horrible-looking spirits. They just came out of the floor, and they grabbed me. And uh, my brother was sitting down at a, we were in a bar. I was 15. I shouldn't have been in there. That was set up from the devil itself. And uh, I drank some beer on top of all of that, and all of that stuff started messing around, started speedballing on me and what have you. 
And I went to my brothers and, uh, and I said, take me home, take me home. If I can get to, to where mom is, she can pray this, this thing off of me. And uh, so they... So in the bar, you saw the demons try yeah, to come and get you. Yeah, came through the floor. Okay, okay. Came through the floor of the bar. And uh, I said, take me home, take me home. I get to mom, I know I can get these things off me because she, 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 she know how to pray. Because your mom was a Christian, even oh, yeah. though your dad yeah. was a voodoo. Yeah, Into yeah. voodoo, okay. Right. And uh, uh, so they put me in the back of the car and... Underneath the bottom of the car, these things came and grabbed me, grabbed me by my mouth. They grabbed me by my mouth and they had me by my ears and in my skin and they yanked me out of my body and I started going down and I could see the drive shaft of the car as I was going down to the to the heart of the earth. And as I got down, it was horrible, stinky, smelly. You could hear screams and yell. And then more of these evil creatures grabbed me and they tormented. They were hitting me in the head with all kinds of, uh, uh, I don't know what these things were. What did they look like? Oh, they were ugly with, with long teeth and fingernails and scaly and hairy. And they were all different sizes. They were little ones, little itty bitty ones in my mouth. They were pulling my tongue. They were laughing. And, and they said, they were laughing at you. Laughing at me. They said, yeah, we tricked you. We fooled you. you. You've been doing spells and all kinds of things on people. And all it was was a setup to get you into this place. And it was tormenting me, and it was just horrible. They Could you were, feel? Oh, Could yeah. you, did you have oh, emotions? Could oh, you yes. feel? Everything. What were you feeling? I felt miserable. I felt horrible. I felt like this is it. You know, this is this place my mother always taught us about. But this is real place. You know, now, people, how did you know you weren't hallucinating from drugs with all those drugs? What What made you differentiate to say this is a real place? I know I'm not hallucinating. Oh, because I knew drugs. I knew how they worked. Yeah. And I knew this was no drug, this was no uh, dream, this was none of those things. Yeah. This was absolutely real yeah. because I was, I, was, I was conscious of what was going on when my brothers put me in that car and I was sitting up and yeah. I was just shaking and, and, and everything. And next thing I know, I saw them with my own eyes come out of the floor and grab me and take me into yeah. this place. The people who we've had on the program before who've experienced something similar to you said that there was an instant feel, uh, feeling of fear. Mm -hmm. That fear just gripped them. Did you yes. oh, experience yeah. oh, yeah. it as well? Yeah, yeah. You can't even describe what the word fear. It's beyond horror. It's beyond torment. It's just constantly. It's, it's they're just on you. They're on you, and they remind you of your past. They remind you of the things that you did. Everything you did bad on the earth is down there with you, and torment on top of everything else. It's just constant. They do not give up. They're, they they will not leave you alone. Did you see other people there? No, I was just too busy in my own torment. But I can, you can hear them, but they don't have no interaction with you, really. Yeah. They're, they're just there doing their own separate torment. How'd you get out? Well, as they were tormenting me, and this is, this is, a, this is an awesome part, as I was being tormented and, like, almost ripping me apart, uh, uh, they were yelling and screaming in my ear, and, and I saw all of their, their faces, like, look up. And as they were looking up, I'm thinking it's a worse torment generator coming on top of me. But I saw these hands of light come down into this horrible pit, hallelujah, and it grabbed me by my shoulders and pulled me out of their hands. And they were scratching and pulling and trying to hold on. And they pulled me out. And, and I heard them say, he's mine. They, they belong, he belongs to us. He's, he's ours. And his hands of light just pulled me out of there. And I could see the drive shaft of the car still going. And it took me, I went right to the body of the car and it put me back in my body. And it said, because, I heard a voice said, because of your mother's prayers. Mm. Ah, glory to God. It mm. said, because of your mother's prayers and you were chosen to do a work for us, you were spared.
And you gave your life to the Lord after that? Right after that. Finally. Come on. Yes. Now, really, really, really quickly, a couple years ago, you had an aneurysm, almost died again. You saw heaven. What was that like? Oh, it was awesome. I saw this golden building. It, it was, it was, it had a, a river coming out of it. It was so awesome. Mm. I saw, uh, 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 oh, it was just the angels and uh, I was a, a beautiful place. Just beautiful. Completely opposite. I tell you what, really quick, I want you to say to someone out there who says, I don't believe it, I don't get it, what would you say to them right now? Say, hell's, hell's real. It's a real place. Mm. Heaven is real. These things are real. You're going to die one day. Where are you going to go? You know, you want to go to the devil, spend eternity there, or you want to go to the Lord. This is a real place. And I know I've, been, I've seen them both, and I've choose heaven. And if they're smart, they'll do the same thing. Amen. Well, thank you so much. Thank, thank you so you much, for Earthquake, us. for being with us. I just appreciate you so much. So we want to thank you all for listening. We trust that you would have been blessed and ministered to um, by those awesome testimonies. All right. And we want to remind you, if you uh, need prayer, you need counseling, um, maybe you want to advertise in the program, maybe you want to be um, part of the program, you want to be a guest on the program, anything like that, right, you can contact us, right, all our, conf- um, sorry, all our contact information is there but we're still going to run it through with you um you can call or whatsapp 473-0550 uh, for international persons 868-473-0550 or uh 460-5510 uh, uh if you're not on whatsapp um international persons if you're not on whatsapp or anybody for that matter um, you can email us at joeradio00 at gmail.com. That's joeradio00 at gmail.com. All right. So um, if you want to do any of the following, you want to, um, you know, be part of the program, you want to be a guest on the program, you want to advertise on the program, uh, you need a prayer, you need a counseling. Um, also, uh, we want to invite persons to get interactive on Joe Radio. Uh, you can send in your voice notes um, through the same through the same um, contact information. You can WhatsApp if you are on WhatsApp or email, whichever one is convenient to you, and send in your uh, your voice notes. You want to say your highs, you want to say your hellos, you want to send out your birthday greetings. You know, um, you know, you can have your own segment in the program. If you so desire, you know, contact us. We'll work out the details and everything, right? And, um, you know, we, we want to make the program as interactive as possible. We want to make you part of the program, right? So um, contact us and get interactive, all right? So we trust that you would have been blessed. We thank you so much. Could never stop thanking you for your listenership, right? Um, for sharing the program, right? Currently, we are on uh, nine platforms right and we are trying to get uh, on even more right because we want to reach people we want to reach more people uh faster so help us do that help us do that right um we also have some um some other things coming up uh we'll um stay tuned for that we're going to let you know about that all right so 
Um, as we wrap up another one, we say thank you once again. We love you. God bless you. God bless your family. God bless you. And you're going out and then you're coming in. Remember, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, get to know him today. He loves you. He cares. He will never let you down. All right. Man may fail you. God will not, has not, will um, not ever, uh, you know, forsake you or disappoint us. All right. So until the next program, I am your boy, JC Vibes. This has been Joe Radio. This has been actually unscripted is the name of the program on Joe Radio. All right. So until the next one, JC Vibes is gone.